symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Turn it on and rip the knob off. guys and welcome back to the wrestling memory grenade and happy new year everyone i am your host ray russell and we're now at episode 76 as we continue on the 1987 wwf project and this week we discuss the fallout from wrestlemania 3 and spoiler alert there's tons of it that's right sit back and enjoy as we begin to discuss april 1987 in the WWF. And I hope everyone had a good holiday season, spending some time with your loved ones, and I really can't complain on my end, had all the kids home for 17 days. But I'm still standing. That's really all that counts. Quite the mixed bag over the holiday season for me. On one end, we spent three days in negative 32 degree weather to the point where I experienced my very first water pipe freezing. Thankfully, it was just the cold water pipe, no explosions in the house but it was in our main bathroom shower. And unfortunately, the pipe was in the wall, so it took three and a half days of waiting for that pipe to unfreeze. Thankfully, we have a second full bathroom downstairs. Now, on the other end, the good definitely outweighed the bad here over the last couple weeks. We launched our brand new regional wrestling podcast where we talk the territories, now available on WrestleCopia.com. A special thank you to Stick to Wrestling's John McAdam, who acted as guest co-host as we've been discussing 1977 and the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Episode 3 of Regional Wrestling will be out soon, where we conclude our discussion of 1977. It's been a hell of a lot of fun there. Now, in my personal life, I enjoyed watching the kids' faces on Christmas morning, had a fun New Year, too, with some friends stopping over, and my brother and his family even managed to stop up and say hello, spend the night with us over the holidays. So a shout-out to my bro Jesse, by the way, Want to thank him and his wife, Amy, again for that nice Italian dinner. Next time you're in town, it's my turn to treat. And before we get into the good stuff, a special reminder, you can listen to the Wrestling Memory Grenade as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network on WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify to Google and beyond. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. For all the latest goings on at WrestleCopia, I'm also adding new old school wrestling pictures and videos all the time. And you can follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also follow and like us Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And be sure to stop over and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us there at YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Adding new videos all the time as I continue to convert my insanely large VHS collection of wrestling TV over to digital. And last but not least, now is a great time to be a patron. A WrestleCopia patron, that is. You can find us there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Several tiers to choose from, but the $5 all-access tier is a great start 
That all-access tier will get you all of our insanely detailed show notes for The Grenade, for Monday Warfare, and now our regional wrestling podcast as well. Plus, you'll receive early access to many of our podcasts. You can listen days, sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus, now remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade, covering the 1989 NWA project. What do those remastered versions include? Well, not only do you get enhanced sound quality, but new content, originally edited out of the initial broadcast, edited right back in. But that's not all. You'll also receive digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's Men events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. All of that for the low, low price of just $5. Once again, the all-access tier gets you the early access, our insanely detailed show notes, the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade, digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and other random goodies as well. And here's the best part. No subscription. Cancel any time. Give it a go for a month, and I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny of it goes right back in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please, help us pay some of the bills. Help us keep the Wrestling Memory Grenade, Monday Warfare, the Regional Wrestling Podcast, and more up and running for the months and the years to come. And all right, with all of that out of the way, it's time to get back in to 1987, April 1987 to be exact, the fallout from WrestleMania 3 as we begin April 87, WWF News. And what better way to start things out than to look at Dave Meltzer talking the WrestleMania 3 fallout himself. And I grabbed a couple of excerpts here from The Observer. So let's take a look at what the old Meltz had to say about WrestleMania 3. And here DeMeltz says to say anything but Sunday's WrestleMania show was the most impressive all-around wrestling production in history would be to deny the obvious. Everything about the show from the hype to the trapping, to the production of the live event itself, exceeded anything we've ever seen from the business. The sellout at the Silverdome was proof of all of that. Dave doesn't want to go into attendance and money figures here yet, but does admit, by a wide margin, this show is the biggest grossing wrestling event in history, and it's a standard that will be very hard for Titan to top next year. Meltzer goes on to say, From the standpoint of the wrestling itself, the show was pretty good. Some were left on a bad note by the main event, which, in truth, was even worse than I expected. Really, Dave? Even though the Andre Hogan match was the draw, it was well known ahead of time it would be a stinker. And it succeeded in that regard. It was also easy to predict that Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat would put on a heck of a show. And besides the Macho Man, the best performer on the show may have been Jesse the Body Ventura. And if you guys go back and listen, to our WrestleMania 3 coverage, we did put over Jesse Ventura pretty hard there. But Meltzer continues, he says, putting the Andre match on maybe in the 10th slot out of the 12 matches and saving Piper and Savage for the final two positions would have sent the fans home on a hot note. Watching the show myself, I thought it was entertaining, but the main event sent me home on a sour note. Strictly from the wrestling standpoint, as big shows go, this doesn't rank near the top. Last year's WrestleMania, while not nearly as successful financially, and in many ways a worse promotion, actually provided more good matches. The Bulldogs match with the Dream Team was almost as good as this year's Savage Steamboat highlight. I'm going to call bullshit on that. 
However, the Funks match with JYD and Santana was better than Piper Adonis. Now, from a wrestling standpoint, that could be true. Meltzer also says the Steamboat Hercules match from Mania 2 was also better than almost anything on the show here this year. Gotta find something to bitch about. However, Meltzer continues, he says, WrestleMania really can't touch the Starcade shows for action, except for possibly the 84 show. As for Texas Stadium's original show in 84, with Ric Flair versus Kerry Von Erich and the title change, while this show did not have the emotion as a production, it was infinitely better, and the wrestling was much better as well. So what's next? Roddy Piper will be gone, at least for a while. Andre and JYD appear to be history as well. And judging by their performances, none too soon. Adonis versus Beefcake seems like an obvious feud, and my guess is that it'll be disappointing. Adrian didn't draw well with Piper, or even Hogan for that matter, so how can they expect him to draw with Beefcake? We also have Hacksaw Duggan versus the Iron Sheik, or is it Nikolai Volkov? Anything higher than fourth from the top in this match won't help the card. The Rougeos versus the new Dream Team? Strictly preliminary material, says DeMeltz. Jake versus Honky Tonk Man? They did a good job of keeping it alive, but I don't see it as headliner material, because I don't think people take the Honky Tonk Man as a main eventer. Billy Jack Haynes versus Hercules? Obviously, they'll continue on, and maybe they'll hit the Chain Match series this spring. The Bulldogs and the Heart Foundation? Too many intangibles to worry about here. But no matter what, it's not main event material, says Meltzer. From there, he goes on to say Butch Reed versus Tito Santana. Certainly not headline material. So we have to look at Hulk Hogan versus anyone. And the only other headline feud DeMeltz can see is Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage, which has actually already peaked in WrestleMania 3. Meltzer closes these excerpts by saying it's almost like, in sports vernacular, a rebuilding season. But they've got the next month to get it off the ground. Lots of downtime here in April for the WWF, and we're going to be talking about that as we continue on with the show. So to recap here, Meltzer tries to put over the show without putting over the show. Yeah, it was a hell of a spectacle. The production was amazing, but the wrestling wasn't quite as good as Starcade 83 or 85 or 86. It was less emotional than the Texas Stadium show, but better on a work rate level. And if you put Hogan on in the 10th spot instead of the 12th spot, that would have made the show much better. Come on, Dave. Did you hear those 93,000, I'm sorry, Dave, 78,000 fans popping when Hulk Hogan picked up the giant, slammed him, dropped the big leg, and scored the win? You're making me, an anti-Hogan fan from way back, defend the Hulkster here. Yeah, we talked about it at length. Wrestling-wise, the match wasn't very good, but it worked for all of the fans in attendance and all of the kids that I went to school with. Smart marks weren't a dime a dozen back in 1987, Dave. Everybody enjoyed themselves with WrestleMania 3. Now, on the other end, Meltzer does make a couple of good points here. One is, let's look at the fallout from WrestleMania. We kind of looked at the what's next on the WrestleMania 3 definitive edition of the Grenade, but we'll look at it here again just real quick. Like Meltzer said, let's look at some of the matches coming out of WrestleMania 3. The Rougeos and the new Dream Team, Tito Santana and Butch Reed, even Beefcake and Adonis. These don't sell like ticket sellers here. Luckily for Titan, they've got a lot of new talent headed in and soon. And we'll also get into that here before this episode concludes. Now, Meltzer also said that WrestleMania 3 set a standard that will be very hard for Titan to top next year. 
course, WrestleMania 4 at Trump Plaza. Donald Trump, basically a, a bought show in many ways by Donald Trump. So walking in, Vince already knew he was making money with the next couple WrestleManias. Now, were they of the magnitude of WrestleMania 3? Well, we certainly had to settle for a much smaller venue and a much duller crowd who weren't really wrestling fans, but rather casino fans. Nevertheless, I reel it back into 1987 here. WrestleMania 3, a hell of a spectacle, a really enjoyable time. And if you guys haven't heard it yet, I do encourage you to go back to the last few episodes of The Grenade. I even slapped them together in a bonus episode, WrestleMania 3, the definitive edition, where we cover every aspect of the big event. But we come back here to April 87 as Jim Crockett Promotions buys out Bill Watts and the UWF. You heard me right. Jim Crockett has purchased the UWF here from Bill Watts in a deal that culminated here during the first week of April. Crockett will take over as of May the 1st. And we touched on it briefly on the WrestleMania 3 episode, the fallout of WrestleMania 3. Bill Watts sees this event. He says to himself, I can't compete with this. I give up. Bill Watts selling his territory to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Demeltz's thoughts on this, he says, I can already see some major problems for this new Crockett UWF promotion with Jake Roberts, Grizzly Smith, and Hacksaw Duggan all working for Titan now. It wouldn't surprise me to see at least a few key players Titan-bound. So Meltzer's speculating that some of these UWF talents aren't going to want to go to work for Jim Crockett, but rather jump over to the WWF. And we're going to see that here very shortly. Meltzer also adds, in addition, the UWF territory wasn't drawing well to begin with. And if they lost some of their main eventers, things can only get worse. The UWF will go dark until the next set of TV tapings on May 16th and 17th. And again, go dark until another set of tapings two weeks later. As of now, there's no confirmed date of when they'll start up with daily house shows, although most indications are it'll be sometime in June. So Mid-South Wrestling, the UWF, no more, as we knew it anyway, Bill Watts sells out to Jim Crockett. As we move on with the show, we look at a lot of comings and goings, and boy, are there a lot of comings and goings here. With the likes of Andre the Giant, the Junkyard Dog, and even Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff now off the booking list. Orndorff supposed to undergo major surgery to repair his injured shoulder. However, he balked at the surgery because there was a chance he could come out of it with a measure of paralysis. So Orndorff takes time off for some rehab to let his shoulder and his nerve issues try to heal on their own, but decides against that major surgery. Also, during the month of April, the now bald, adorable Adrian Adonis was fired after an event in London, Ontario, and from the way it was explained, it isn't likely he'll be asked back. And of course, we know by history he was not. Yes, it appeared that Titan had instituted a new dress code for their wrestlers and that they should travel and arrive at the arenas in nice clothes, as Adonis was flagrantly and constantly violating that dress code. Now, it has been reported in other times that, yes, Adonis, the reason he was given for his firing was his slovenly look as he represented the company traveling around. Now, other sources also claimed he was fired because of his gross misbehavior or just plain unreliability. And again, just to touch on that real quick, there have been comments about Adonis possibly having some substance abuse issues. I don't know that they were any worse than some of the other guys who are still here in the company. But anyway, you want to look at it. Adrian Adonis, another name gone 
shortly after WrestleMania 3, and at least for Brutus Beefcake, he has a ready-made feud set up with luscious Johnny V and company, and Johnny V will actually be replacing Adonis on the house shows as Beefcake's opponent. Not exactly Adrian Adonis level is the manager and sometimes wrestler Johnny V, but it'll have to do for the short term. And again, you go back to it, at least the storyline is already there. Johnny V and company turning on Beefcake. It's also at this point that we know that Dan Spivey out with the knee injury. He won't return until the fall. The Wizard, King Curtis Iakea, gone from the company at the last set of TV tapings before WrestleMania 3. His men of Sika and Kamala were turned over to Mr. Fuji. Fuji going to be their new manager. The Wizard with some really bad knees. It was very visible and very obvious from the beginning of the year. Wizard not really wanting to get in the ring too much, electing to stand on the outside of the ring. We even saw in that final match of managing Kamala, he rolls into the ring, but never gets up off of his knees, found it too hard to stand. So makes sense that the wizard off the road and back to Hawaii where he can enjoy himself here. But we're not done yet with releases. Ken Resnick, the former AWA and WWF announcer, Ken Resnick gone from the company. Now, Ken has went on to say that he got fired because of a promo he did with the Hart Foundation where they repeatedly got him to utter the words, bitch. And you guys all remember that promo. And if you don't, here it is. Well, speaking of your opponents, I would imagine foremost on your mind, Anvil, and of course, Brett the Hitman's would be the tag team champions of British Bulldogs. You're always asking us questions. Always asking us questions. Well, let me ask you a question, all right? Be my guest. What exactly is a female dog? That's not what Brett It's called a bitch, is the term. (laughs) A what? Oh, the, the terminology is a bitch. Referring to a female dog. <laughs> That's the bulldog's new manager. It's bad enough. It's bad enough that you gotta take orders from a dog, <laughs> but you gotta take orders from a bitch. <laughs> Boy, they're really using their brains, aren't they? They should have a foundation of their own. Does <laughs> she got a little tiny belt she wears around too? <laughs> Gorilla, what can I say? We'll be back with more great primetime action right after this. All right, so the Hart Foundation had some fun with Kenny there, and Resnick claims that's what got him fired. Now, the trouble with that is, A, it was recorded, pre-recorded, to air on an episode of Primetime Wrestling. They could have simply not aired the promo. But let's just say they did, and they blamed him anyway. Resnick was still around another good five months, four or five months after that promo. So I'm not really buying that. A lot of people, again, I've heard the stories. Maybe Resnick had a a bit of a drinking problem and it was becoming too much. Maybe he just wasn't shaking out. He just wasn't somebody that Vince McMahon liked on a business level from an announcer standpoint. Whatever the case may be, I didn't mind Ken Resnick in this position here in the WWF, but nevertheless, gone from the company is Kenny Resnick. Another name already gone from the WWF, Blink and you'll miss her. Missy Hyatt has quit the WWF here in April of 87 before ever even being aired on television. Now, the story I've got is that there were problems and that they wanted her to portray a certain character, and she thought she'd be a lot more effective being herself, being the Missy Hyatt she had portrayed in World Class in the UWF. And there's no doubt we can expect to see Missy Hyatt back in the UWF or or working for Crockett within a month or two as she does have an in with the booker over there in Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert. As of this time, nobody, not even DeMeltz, knows who will be replacing Missy Hyatt, who was supposed to be replacing Roddy Piper's pit. 
And for those scratching their head wondering, who does replace Piper's Pit? Who does replace Missy's Manor? Well, we'll have to wait another year for that answer. Meltzer quips, it appears that Missy Hyatt set some sort of a record for the most ink between the newsstand magazines and Titans own WWF magazine and programs, all doing major features on her joining the group. Meltzer saying she's done the most ink by anyone who never actually appeared on the WWF TV programming. Couple more names to look at here leaving the company before we look at all of the influx of talent headed in. Blackjack Mulligan going to be finishing up at the April 23rd Superstars taping. It's reported that Mulligan quit and walked out on the WWF, leaving outlaw Ron Bass with nobody to wrestle. And based on what Mulligan's done here in 87 and what we'll see him do here in April, which we'll talk about later, can't really say that I'm surprised. Based on where Mulligan's relegated on the roster, I can possibly see why a man of his legendary stature may have a little ego issue with how he's booked here. And last but not least, well, maybe least, the Italian stallion, Salvatore Bellomo, gone from the company. Yes, Salvatore Bellomo in that awesome heel comedy job guy gimmick. The one I refer to as the beta version of Santino Morella. Bellomo gone, his final match, teaming up with Tiger Chung Lee to do a job to Blackjack Mulligan and Dan Spivey on an episode of Primetime Wrestling. You can find that match on our YouTube channel, by the way. And if you look at the names in that match, Mulligan and Spivey, Mulligan quits, Spivey out with a knee injury. Belomo leaves the company. It leaves Tiger Chung Lee as the only active competitor in the company after the month of April. Think about that for a minute. Now we talked about everyone leaving the WWF. Let's talk about all of the talent headed into the company and what a list it is. We start off with Killer Khan, the evil Mongolian. Killer Khan will be here before the end of April, beginning at the TV tapings. Also, a new masked underneath tag team by the name of the Shadows will be debuting here soon. The Shadows, Jose Luis Rivera and Randy Colley. That's right. From Demolition Smash version one to a brief stint as the assassin on the house shows. Now, Randy Colley, he was promised a job with the company after being yanked from his demolition idea. There are no guarantees in professional wrestling, but Randy Colley keeps a job for now. It's one half of the Assassins, along with Jose Luis Rivera, who is no stranger to working under a hood as a heel. We've seen him lately as the Red Demon doing an excellent job on the undercard. And eventually, he'll become one half of the Conquistadors with Jose Estrada. And we'll see Killer Khan and the Shadows here on the TV tapings in April. Another name returning. They are really pushing this one. Ken Patera returning to the WWF as a babyface. Patera getting a big push on TV with the upcoming Ken Patera story. Now, the first four parts of the Ken Patera story already up on our YouTube channel. And we'll talk more about those on next week's episode of The Grenade. But here Meltzer says, It was funny watching Patera admit remorse for his actions because in every account I've ever read over the past two years, even in recent months, Patera completely maintained his innocence, and it was this apparent lack of remorse that was one of the reasons he was denied parole. Now, Patera will admit remorse, but at the same time, he'll also be blaming Bobby the Brain Heenan. Again, we'll be talking about that far more in depth next week on The Grenade. And as I sift through the old Wrestling Observer newsletters, we come to the end 
of one of those newsletters and flash there's a news flash added to the end of said newsletter it reads that big bubba rogers the future big boss man beat the one-man gang to become the new uwf heavyweight champion on april 19th in muskogee oklahoma one-man gang clearly wwf bound and should be able to be pushed as one of the challengers for wwf champion hulk hogan keyword there dave should so it appears now the one-man gang also headed in to the World Wrestling Federation, and it doesn't end there. Following the spectacle that was WrestleMania three, Ted DiBiase opts out of his verbal agreement with Cowboy Bill Watts, however, then commits to a handshake agreement with Jim Crockett to remain on with the UWF. But the story doesn't end there, as you may know by now. DiBiase backs out of signing with Crockett, and will instead accept a very lucrative offer from the WWF. Ted DiBiase, considered by most experts, experts, is one of the five best pro wrestlers in the world right now, does indeed sign with the WWF in what was reported as a major surprise. DiBiase had reached a handshake agreement just a few days earlier with JCP to remain with the UWF, for a reported $250,000 guarantee over the next year. Quarter of a million dollars. He doesn't want to be a quarter of a million dollar man. He wants to be the million dollar man. The Crockett deal would have also allowed DiBiase to keep his lucrative Japan commitments. So this was a big money deal, and by the magnitude of the contract alone, guaranteed DiBiase top star status with Crockett. Think about that. Flair and DiBiase at some point. Mm. In fact, DiBiase was no doubt in the thick of all the major UWF angles set for the upcoming months. Meltzer says, I do know that Ted DiBiase wasn't offered a guaranteed contract by the WWF. However, for him to back out of such a lucrative deal with Crockett, he must have been convinced he was going to be pushed as one of Titan's major attractions. You could say that. About the only thing going through the Titan grapevine I know about DiBiase is that he'll be used as a heel, and he'll have a unique gimmick. Maybe his unique gimmick will be that he'll have good matches in the WWF. Rimshot, Dave. <laughs> Meltzer says he expects DiBiase to debut with Titan in early June. Looking forward to that one. Other names headed in include Sam Houston, also coming in from the UWF because of relations to both Jake the Snake Roberts, the brother of Sam Houston, and Grizzly Smith, the father of Sam Houston. Grizzly did leave the UWF and go to work for Vince McMahon for a stint of time here. And it seems like a, a good decision and, and a lucky decision for Houston to have his family up there with the WWF because he's likely not getting hired back by JCP after the bad blood he had when he left there and went to the UWF. Of course, the story goes that Sam Houston was with Baby Doll for several years there. That's no secret but it upsets some of the higher-up wrestlers, including Booker Dusty Rhodes, who didn't want to see Baby Doll being seen with one of the underneath talent. Meltzer says hopefully Houston can get a push here in the WWF, although his lack of size will hurt him. That will become painfully obvious almost immediately. Another name you guys might know, headed into the WWF. He's a former ring announcer for Houston Wrestling, and most recently... We've seen him on UWF television conducting the interviews. It's a fellow by the name of Bruce Pritchard. Now that's something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard on his way to the WWF. And what an impact he will make behind the scenes 
producing many of the famous late 80s, early 90s vignettes from Mr. Perfect to the Million Dollar Man. And of course, in just a year's time, Brother Love gonna show up on our TV screens. Another name headed in to work behind the scenes is Joel Watts, the son of Cowboy Bill Watts, now working for the WWF doing production work with the TV shows. Meltzer says that Joel Watts practically turned wrestling videos into an art form, handling the production of the UWF TV shows, so he expects more creativity in post-production for the WWF. Now, Joel Watts does go over to the WWF. He does do some creative work early on here, but it doesn't last. Joel Watts leaves the WWF before too long. As we look at all these UWF talents coming into the WWF, like Sam Houston, like Ted DiBiase, like Joel Watts and Bruce Pritchard, it looks as though Dr. Death Steve Williams will be staying with the UWF after all. He was heavily also rumored to be headed to the WWF to be with his buddies DiBiase and Jim Duggan. Boy, that would have been something Dr. Death and the World Wrestling Federation. Remember that vignette they do in one of the Clash of the Champions when Dr. Death's getting ready to take on the Samoan Savage, I believe it was, which is actually Tama here in the WWF. They dressed the good doc up kind of like a doctor riding in an ambulance. Absolutely silly. It feels like something Vince may have done with them here in the WWF had Doc agreed to it. I want to make that clear. Also coming into the WWF will be a fellow by the name of Bam Bam Bigelow. And as of right now, it's planned for Bigelow to be a heel when he arrives here. In the WWF, Bigelow's arena bookings will start in the month of May. And while he had been hyped as returning to Memphis wrestling here soon, it's obvious he's headed to the big times. And the names they don't in there, they just keep coming. Add yet another new name to the stable of the WWF in the Dingo Warrior. Meltzer says, I'm not sure if he'll use that name or not, but I'm told he'll basically be a C-team performer, a la Tom McGee and that he won't get any TV exposure and will work only these small towns until he learns to wrestle. The problem is very few wrestlers get better working here in the WWF, and from what I'm told, McGee was even better in his first pro match in 1985 than he is today here in 1987. So the Dingo Warrior headed into the WWF, but it's planned possibly to keep him off TV until he gets better in the ring. I'll let you guys insert your own jokes there. For those wondering, the Dingo Warrior? the ultimate warrior, on his way to the WWF. It also appears that superstar Billy Graham will attempt to make yet another comeback, this time from major hip surgery. It's rumored that he'll be back in the WWF within the next couple of months as a babyface. Graham's legitimate operation was taped about nine months back, and parts of it will actually air on WWF programming. Another name headed in, Cowboy Scott Casey formerly of Southwest Championship Wrestling fame. Scott Casey headed in to fill out those C-shows as well. It would be a good idea for them to team Casey with newcomer Sam Houston, says the Melts, as a cowboy tag team, because I don't think they would try and push either of them as individuals. That might have worked on the underneath. Here's some other interesting comments made by Dave Meltzer here in the month of April 87. He says on this week's AWA TV show, it was announced that Playboy Buddy Rose was indefinitely suspended and that Colonel De Beers had chickened out of the April 19th show, so both seem to be gone from the AWA stemming from the Independence show in Minneapolis on April 12th. 
both men working outside of the AWA. Big no-no to Vern Gagne there. And he essentially fires both Buddy Rose and Ed Wiskoski, a.k.a. Colonel De Beers. Rose is hopeful of joining the WWF by the end of May, though he'll just work the prelims there. Well, Meltzer's off by about three years, but Buddy Rose does manage to make one final run in 1990 with the World Wrestling Federation, which led to the infamous blowaway diet ad. So let's recap this real quick, shall we? Let's look at all the talent off the booking list or out of the WWF right now. We know Andre's taking some time off from the ring. Orndorff also trying to rehab his issues. Junkyard Dog, at this point, is essentially fired from the company, as is the adorable Adrian Adonis. Missy Hyatt also gone. Dan Spivey out with an injury. The Wizard, King Curtis Iakea, has quit the promotion due to his knee issues. Kenny Resnick released from his announcing duties. Blackjack Mulligan going to quit the company here in April. And Sal Balomo, done as enhancement talent. Now on the other end, we see the return of the likes of Ken Patera, Killer Khan, a new tag team in the shadows working the underneath. Plus, we learned big names like the one-man gang and Ted DiBiase are headed into the WWF, as well as Joel Watts and Bruce Pritchard working behind the scenes. Sam Houston going to join his family in the WWF. We don't wind up getting Dr. Death Steve Williams here, but we do get the Dingo Warrior and Bam Bam Bigelow. Plus, superstar Billy Graham going to try to make his return. And even Scott Casey finds himself a slot here in 87. Sometimes it just pays to be in good shape. As we move on, I go all the way back to our setting the stage in 1987 in the WWF. On that episode of The Grenade, we talked about Jim Neidhart his past history, his past run-ins with the law prior to the WWF, and his current ongoing issue here in the early part of 87 after allegedly, quote-unquote, punching a flight attendant. So here's a quick refresher on that incident with Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Neidhart's trial for allegedly punching and slapping a U.S. air stewardess on a Tampa to Pittsburgh flight sometime back began on April 13th. On the opening day of the trial, Stephanie Ziegler, no relation, the chief stewardess on the flight testified that she saw Neidhart punch stewardess Ava Winston four times on the left arm early in the flight. Then later in the flight, punched her again and slapped her with the back of his hand. Neidhart's attorney, Jerry McDivitt, wonder where he got him from, told the jury that the anvil merely tapped the stewardess on the arm to get her attention. McDivitt has claimed he'll produce numerous passengers who will testify they didn't see any of this so-called assault take place. Neidhart, who is 6 feet, 240 pounds, is charged with interfering with a flight attendant on duty and, if convicted, faces a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison and a $275,000 fine. We fast forward to April 17th. In court, Neidhart was acquitted on all charges of punching a stewardess on the January 15th flight. Meltzer says it's amazing how the charges made every paper in the country, yet the verdict went almost completely unreported. It stated that the preponderance of evidence apparently favored Jim Neidhart, since there was only one witness testifying to the stewardess's testimony, while there were 17 passengers who testified that they hadn't seen any sort of altercation take place. What, were they all wrestlers? The jury deliberated only 90 minutes before reaching its verdict in the case. Now, we talked about this story at length in that Setting the Stage episode. We know 
that over time, Neidhart actually sues U.S. Air, wins a big, I believe it was a million-dollar lawsuit, and Vince McMahon was standing by waiting to be paid back for fronting Jerry McDivitt, his own attorney, for Neidhart's use at Vince's expense. Vince McMahon waited to be paid back there. And when Neidhart finally received this, this million-dollar payout at the end of 1991, only Neidhart kept the money for himself, leading to Vince McMahon firing the anvil, which wasn't the first nor the last time Neidhart was fired from the WWF, but that's a story for a different day. Oh, that wacky Jim Neidhart. Loved him growing up. One of my favorites in the ring and as an entertainer as well. He's had some great promos here in 1987. Certainly the life, the personality of the Hart Foundation. And we talked about all that talent coming in and leaving the WWF. Well, here in the oops department, as far as Dave Meltzer goes, he claims it has been officially, there's that word, officially confirmed that Kurt Hennig has agreed to terms to join the WWF. Since he just turned heel for Vern Gagne in the AWA, they just held up the title and word was out. He was going to become the next champion by the end of the summer. Meltzer says this is a major coup for the WWF, and I couldn't agree more. However, one week later in The Observer, Meltzer says this, the reports of Kurt Hennig headed to the WWF weren't printed until I had confirmation from someone who wouldn't have confirmed it unless it was a sure thing. But as the week went on, it appears that for the second time, because Hennig had already agreed to join the WWF late last year as well, but changed his mind when promised the AWA title belt, a promise that is yet to materialize, but appears to be on the brink of happening, Hennig has backed out once again, wouldn't you know it. The folks at Titan aren't too thrilled about it, from what I understand. That's okay, they'll get over it, Dave. Supposedly, there was a lot of pressure coming from Larry Hennig, the father of Kurt, who caused Kurt Hennig to stay with the AWA. You'd have to figure that title change may be coming around shortly as well. So way to cover Dave and blame everyone else but yourself. And you call yourself a journalist. In the here and there department, more than a thousand people attended the birthday party of one George the Animal Steel on April 21st. Steel, born April 16th, 1937, same year as my grandfather making the animal 51 years old here in 1987. 51 years old and still quote-unquote wrestling for the WWF. It's also reported that fans are beginning to cheer Demolition, Axe, and Smash in their matches. And why not? Demolition getting over somewhat as baby faces here to the crowd as they've been wrestling the Islanders on the house shows, so now there's talk of turning the Islanders heel. That just might work. And apparently, Titan is going to start supplying medical and dental coverage for its wrestlers. Meltzer says that's a monumental breakthrough, which was long overdue, and hopefully other promotions will follow suit. Don't know that any of that comes to fruition. And lastly, in the here and there department, the lineup for the next edition of Saturday Night's Main Event scheduled to air May the 2nd. We'll be covering that extensively in just a couple weeks here on The Grenade. Saturday night's main event scheduled to air May 2nd, taped April 28th in South Bend, Indiana. It'll be interesting, as it'll be the first ever Saturday night's main event without Hulk Hogan wrestling, though he does make sure to get himself a promo on the show. And I had to go back and fact check. It just didn't seem right, but nope, Dave Meltzer is correct. This indeed will be the first ever SNME without Hulk Hogan in the wrestling ring. However, the lineup looks like this. Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Kamala. The Hart Foundation defending the tag titles against the British Bulldogs. IC champion Ricky Steamboat 
defending against Hercules. Meltzer should be excited for that one, always putting over their match from WrestleMania 2. Also on the show, the Macho Man Randy Savage takes on George Steele yet again, this time in a lumberjack match. Also, for those curious, the Can-Am Connection, scheduled to take on the team of the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. All of that upcoming on the next Saturday night's main event in the early part of May. As we move on to the next segment of our show here, it's time to talk April house show results here in 1987. It's going to be a much quicker rundown here in April because everyone on the Titan roster off the road from March 30th until April 6th. Then one small troop of 14 male wrestlers and two female wrestlers are sent to work on an eight-show loop in Quebec. The rest of the roster, they're off from March 30th all the way until April 22nd. 24 days of much-needed physical and mental rest, no doubt about it. Nearly the entire roster out for 24 days. And as we get set to go through these house show results, I encourage everyone to head on over to thehistoryofwwe.com. Shout out to Richard Land, who does a fantastic job of, of upkeeping results on the website. Again, head on over to the history of WWE.com, pull up 1987, and scroll down to April as we begin to look at the results here. Now, I've spent years doing my own research and putting together my own list of results, both for the WWF and many other territories. But as far as the internet goes, the history of WWE is where it's at when you guys want to scroll through with me, read along with the house shows with me, have some fun, look at the matches. Definitely the way to go. And we get things rolling here. And of those 14 men I mentioned on the Quebec tour, eight of them didn't wrestle at WrestleMania, so I'm sure they're enjoying this payday here. The other six men on this eight-show tour includes former stars of the Montreal Territory and a few other veterans as well. So eight shows over 10 days up in Quebec, Canada, with Edouard Carpentier acting as the guest ring announcer for the tour. Also should be noted that Leaping Lanny Poffo subbing for Tom McGee. On this tour of Quebec, four of the first five nights all see the same results. April 7th, 8th, 9th, and the 11th in Granby, Trois-Rivières, Victoriaville, and Robertval. Hopefully I said those correctly. All four of these shows see the same results every night. It's women's champion, the fabulous Moolah over Velvet McIntyre. Frenchie Martin defeating S.D. Jones, Lanny Poffo over Jimmy Jack Funk. Montreal native Dino Bravo defeating Corporal Kirchner, the Islanders over the team of Don Morocco and Cowboy Bob Orton, and the Can-Am Connection defeating the Heenan family members of the King Harley Race and Hercules. Just six matches on those cards. Now we skipped a date, April 10th, because the result's a little different there. And in some cases, we don't have the actual results to the matches, but definitely a different lineup in Quebec City on April the 10th. It's Frenchie Martin over S.D. Jones, Lanny Poffo, defeating Jimmy Jack Funk, women's champion Mula over Velvet McIntyre. Also some other matches on the card, Corporal Kirchner versus Bob Orton, Dino Bravo versus Haku, the Magnificent Morocco versus Tama of the Islanders, and the Can-Am Connection taking on the team of Hercules and Harley Race. No results for those matches. However, also on the show, a 14-man battle royal, including all of the male participants that wrestled earlier on the show, doing the battle royal there in Quebec City. And we're already five shows through the eight-show loop here, so let's continue on and look at what else the WWF did there. In Quebec, April 12th and the 15th, the WWF in Jean-Pierre and Ramowski, Quebec. Same results both nights with S.D. Jones versus Jimmy Jack Funk, Lanny Poffo, and Frenchie Martin. The King Harley Race taking on Tama. 
the Can-Am Connection going up against Bob Orton and Don Morocco, Dino Bravo scoring a win over Haku, Hercules defeating Corporal Kirchner, and of course, ladies champion Mula over Velvet McIntyre, plus another battle royal, the King Harley race going over, this time in the 14-man battle royal featuring all 14 male stars on this tour of Quebec. The WWF moving away from Quebec to finish up in Edmonton, New Brunswick. On April the 16th at the Forum, Lanny Poffo over Frenchie Martin, SD Jones defeating Jimmy Jack Funk, Dino Bravo scoring a win over Corporal Kirchner, it's still Mula defeating Velvet McIntyre. The Can-Am Connection continue on their winning streak over Morocco and Bob Orton, and the Islanders defeating the team of the King Harley Race and the Mighty Hercules in New Brunswick. Now, while the rest of the roster was off during this time period, 24 days to be exact, that would mean that a lot of the stars went home on a vacation of sorts. And while home on said vacation, the Bulldogs and the Hitman, well, they do a little moonlighting for Stampede Wrestling, of course. Let's take a look at a few results here in April from Stampede Wrestling up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Sees Davey Boy Smith defeat Bret Hart in a one-on-one match after interference from the Dynamite Kid allowing Davey Boy to score the win there. And it's reported that that April 10th card in Calgary, the normal building draws around 2,500 fans sold out, but it turned away an extra 600 fans who came to see Davey Boy take on the Hitman at Stampede. And also on that show, I should note, Owen Hart scoring a win over the future Norman, the future Bastion Booger. Here's still a hell of a talent. He is Muck and Sing. Owen Hart defeating Muck and Sing to win the Stampede North American Heavyweight Championship. So quite the show there. And a hell of a homecoming for the Hitman and the Bulldogs. We fast forward a night later, Edmonton, Alberta, April 11th. Once again, it's Davey Boy Smith over Bret Hart, this time on a disqualification in Edmonton. And then one week later, it's Owen Hart scoring another win over Muck and Singh. And the Hitman, Bret Hart, defeats the British Bulldogs' Davey Boy Smith in a chain match. And of course, this was the bigger venue. So last week, they drew 2,500. This week, 6,000 fans and yet another sellout with some of the WWF stars and former Stampede stars in town. And while we're on the topic of the Hearts, I should note here that Owen Hart, not only the North American heavyweight champion, but also at this point, the mid-heavyweight champion as well. So he's the first guy since the Dynamite Kid to hold both major titles at the same time here in Stampede Wrestling. And we'll be hearing a whole lot more about this guy named Owen Hart in the years to come. So we know a lot of the talent have taken most of the last several weeks off, and those that wrestled in Quebec, they're back off the road again beginning April 17th through the 22nd, so they get a few more days of rest before they're back on the road. And then it's off to the next set of WWF TV tapings for the Superstars program in Worcester, Mass. at the Centrum. On April the 23rd, in front of a sellout crowd of over 9,800 fans, Mel Phillips, the ring announcer here, subbing for Howard Finkel on this set of tapings. And these tapings here on the 23rd, featuring some of those newcomers we were talking about, the Shadows, Killer Khan, and the return of Ken Patera as well. But that's not all. Missy Hyatt is back, doing another set of Missy's Manor. However, once again, these segments won't be airing on the syndicated package. Hyatt is being groomed to take over the Roddy Piper segments, says DeMeltz. In fact, Missy even interviewed Randy Savage and Elizabeth, and both girls played the babyface to Randy's ogre heel role. Meltz says he still thinks Missy should be playing the heel. And I won't argue that one at all. And we did this on the March edition 
of the Grenade, but we're going to do it again here this week. It's the revamped version of Missy's Manor. We're going to listen to some sound bites here of those segments. And bear in mind, these are the final editions of Missy's Manor as after this, Hyatt is offered a job to continue with the WWF as a federette of all things. She obviously declines and heads back to be with her man, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. But nevertheless, we do have several, multiple, four editions of Missy's Manor here to cover. And I've got sound bites queued up for all of them. And up first, what a way to get things going. Missy Hyatt going to interview the lovely Miss Elizabeth and the former Intercontinental Champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Here is Missy Hyatt in Missy's Manor. Hi, welcome to Missy's Manor. And I'm Missy Hyatt, and I am really thrilled to be a part of wrestling superstars and I have two of the most famous WWF personalities with me it's the former intercontinental champion macho man Randy Savage and his manager the lovely Miss Elizabeth but you know macho man ever since Wrestlemania 3 and the loss of your title I really don't want to go into that and ask you questions because I'm sure so many people have been asking you over and over about it and I don't want to bring that up. But Elizabeth, I do want to ask you, on the night of the, of the WrestleMania, how did it feel when he lost the belt? Wait a minute right now. You just don't understand one thing. Macho Madness is complete and whole, and Elizabeth is a small part of Macho Madness, like one grain of sand in the Sahara Desert. So why don't you develop your questions and give them to the Macho Man, Randy Savage. That would be very good for you. Well, I know I do, but I don't want to have to ask you questions, because I understand how you you should be so upset about losing the Intercontinental Belt. But... That's why I want to ask you, Elizabeth. I mean, when you were standing there at ringside and he lost the belt, gosh, I mean, was that upsetting? Stop right now. Now is the time that I want to explain to you and everyone to direct your questions to the star. Yeah. And that is the macho man, Randy Savage. Yeah, I sparkle. Don't I, Elizabeth? Yes, don't even answer that one. Back to you. And now concentrate just a little harder on your next question. Yeah. Look, Randy, I don't want to upset you. Just relax. I just want to have a talk with Elizabeth. I mean, Elizabeth, how is it? I mean, how does it feel to be with a loser? A loser? You call me a loser? Let me tell you something. You seem to have a lot of gall, yeah. You should be really, uh, yeah, careful. The way you talk to the macho man, Randy Savage, that would be real good, and it would be healthy, too. Please, just, you know, calm down. I, You know, there are so many questions that I just want to ask you, but there's one thing I want to ask Elizabeth that I and so many other people out there have probably been wondering for about two years now. Elizabeth, what is a nice girl like you doing with a guy like this? Oh, and I'm going to tell you something right now. This manor right here can be redecorated, yeah, by the macho man Randy Savage. Elizabeth, let's go right now. Down there. Gosh, 
You know, Elizabeth seems like such a nice lady, and I really do not know what she's doing with a guy like that. Maybe some other time we can find out the reason why, but until next week, I'll see you right here in Missy's Manor. All right, Missy Hyatt trying not to discuss the Macho Man losing the title while still discussing the Macho Man losing the IC title belt there. Also, trying to get a word in edgewise with the lovely Miss Elizabeth just doesn't pan out. When does it ever? Macho Man keeps interrupting his manager, and then Missy lets it fly. She asks Liz, what is it like to be with a loser like the Macho Man? Hyatt even pondering what a nice girl like Liz is doing with a guy like Savage. And as you guys heard, Macho Man didn't take any of those lines very well, threatening to redecorate things, maybe take Missy's face and put it against the wall. Aha! Never a dull moment when the Macho Man has a microphone. Now, on another edition of Missy's Manor here, let me set the stage. It hasn't happened yet. We haven't discussed it yet, I should say. An upcoming debate between Bobby the Brain Heenan and former inmate 59919, Ken Patera. Bobby Heenan threatens to whip Patera with his belt, leading to Patera wrapping it around the Brain's neck and giving him a big yank. Hell of a bump by Bobby Heenan, who gets to sell it with a neck brace for the next several months. As we head off to another edition of Missy's Manor, Missy Hyatt talking with the injured, the neck brace wearing Bobby the Brain Heenan. Ladies and gentlemen, Missy Hyatt in Missy's Manor. Hi, welcome to Missy's Manor. And I really can't say it's a privilege, but it should be interesting talking with my next guest. Please welcome Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, Bobby, I'm sure everybody out here wants to know, what is that thing around your neck? Well, I'd appreciate it if you didn't make any quick moves. Oh, does it hurt? Yes, it hurts. Have you ever had your neck hurt? I'm going to tell you something. I was doing, I was conducting a debate, something I should have never even got involved in because I was debating nothing more than your common everyday ex-convict. Well, as I was debating this ex-con and I was whipping the man mentally, he couldn't psychologically he couldn't mentally and he couldn't scholastically keep up with me. So what did the man do? He reverted back to his primitive and violent and, and violent ways and took matters into his own hands and instead of all, verbally trying to defeat me, he acted like the criminal and ex-con he was and is and put his hands on me and caused damage to my neck almost broke my neck. Well, you know, I can see his side of the story because you didn't visit him or call him for two years. Didn't visit him or call him for two years. I not only didn't do that, I never called his wife. I never talked to him, his wife, or his snot-nosed kids. I have other things to do than worry about him. Well, we've heard your side of the story and we've obviously seen Ken Patera's side of the story. <laughs> Well, as I told you, this is interesting talking with Bobby the Brain Heenan, the man with ring around the collar. Heenan running down Ken Patera? Missy with that lame joke about ring around the collar. And anyone born after the early 80s probably doesn't even get it. But we move on. Two more editions of Missy's Manor to come. We heard from Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now we're going to hear from the other side of the story. Here's the ex-con. 
Number 59919, Missy Hyatt standing by with Ken Patera. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Missy Hyatt in Missy's Manor. Hi, welcome to Missy's Manor, and I'm here with Ken Patera. I've been following the Ken Patera Baba Heenan story for a while now, and last week I saw the debate. I'm just wondering, how does it feel one week later after that monumental debate? Missy, I've been waiting a long time to get a lot of things off my chest and to set the record straight. I feel that I accomplished that. And I'm proud to live in a country where when a man makes a mistake, he pays society that debt and leaves it all behind him. A guy like the weasel, as I like to refer to him, the remarks he made about my family, about my wife, referring uh, to my children as snot-nosed kids, I understand his neck is just slightly sprained now. Tell you the truth, I wish that I had broke it. And I'm sure everybody in the viewing audience right now, or at least a lot of them, I think that uh, they might have just carried it to that extent. Well, you know, later on in the show, Bobby Heenan issued a challenge against one of his family members, Hercules, and you. I'm sure everyone wants to know, are you going to accept this challenge? Missy, I've been waiting two long years. Every day as I sat in that prison cell, I marked my calendar off day by day, day by day, waiting for this opportunity. I think the time has come to rid the world of the scum like Heenan and anybody else in his family, whether it be Hercules or anybody else. And my main goal now and my main goal forever is to rid the world of that type of scum. Well, you heard it first on Missy's Manor. The challenge has been accepted. Next week, Ken Patera versus Hercules. So they talk about the debate taking place last week. So you have to think maybe, just maybe, these weren't initially planned to be tryouts. Maybe they were actually planning to air these segments. Bobby Heenan had issued the challenge for Patera to take on the mighty Hercules, Patera accepting that challenge. And Kim Patera, even as a babyface, still sounds like a heel because, oh my God, he's, he's upset that Heenan's neck was just sprained and not broken, getting to sound like Billy Jack Haynes, which must be something that Portland water. And here it is, guys, the final edition of Missy's Manor, featuring the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart and a newly bald Adrian Adonis. Ladies and gentlemen, Missy Hyatt in Missy's Manor. Hi, welcome to Missy's Manor. You know, a few weeks ago when I found out who were going to be my guests, I had to wear pink for them. Please welcome mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, and adorable Adrian Adonis. You know, Adrian, when I found out, like I said a few weeks ago, that you were going to be my guest, I was so worried because our hair used to be like the same style, and I didn't know if I should change it, but now since WrestleMania 3, we don't have that problem. Let me tell you, the problem is everybody knows in town that it's history that I had Roddy Piper beat like a dog in the middle of the ring with the wrath of Goodnight Irene. 
So all of a sudden, Brutus the Cheesecake, the barber, comes running down there and sticks Epsom salts or smelling salts in his puss and revives them. Is that justice in the WWF? No, it isn't. And I'm fed up and I'm going to get Steven. I'm going to get even. Well, you know, how does it feel to be bald? I don't know. Haven't you ever been bald before? No. Have you ever weighed less than 600 pounds? I bet you I could fit into those shoes you wear. I bet you that's your IQ, too. And you belong in the kitchen. You don't belong out here trying to pretend to run a flower shop. This isn't a flower shop. This is my manor. Oh, Missy Pritzy, you don't even belong out here. Hey, listen, I got more shower time than you know about wrestling. Hey, let me tell you something. You don't talk to the mouth of the south. An adorable Adrian like this. He is a superstar, man. You Vanna White and look alike. Come on, Adrian, let's get out of here. Better than pick the shiver. Come on, come on. You know, I was really hoping that this Missy Manor could have been fun. But I just guess there's a few bad apples in every bunch. Maybe next time we'll have a little bit better fruit. Missy Hyde having some fun there with the adorable Adrian. Adonis implying that a woman's place should be in the kitchen and not out here pretending to run a flower shop. Hyde having some fun there as Adonis' new foe, his new enemy, at least for the short term, Brutus Beefcake. Also, some dark segments here as part of these Superstars tapings. The Shadows defeat the team of Lanny Poffo and Nick Kaniski. Jake the Snake Roberts battling Kamala to a double countout. Ken Patera defeats the mighty Hercules with Bobby Heenan and Harley Race in his corner, but he does it by a disqualification after Harley Race interferes to save Hercules, who was caught in a Patera bear hug. After the match, Billy Jack Haynes runs out to make the save but it's reported that the match was so bad that it had to be redone, retaped the following night at the Wrestling Challenge taping. That doesn't sound good for the return of Kempatera. But to be fair, this was his first match back in the ring in nearly two years. Meltzer goes on to say, unlike gentleman Chris Adams and Mr. Saito, I'm told that Kempatera looked terrible in his first match back after a long prison stint. Meltzer also points out that Patera's actually been out of prison for about five months now, so he's had time to get back into ring shape. So this is a little scary. Also part of the Superstars taping, WWF champion Hulk Hogan teaming with Billy Jack Haynes in a handicap match. Two versus three against the team of the Hart Foundation and dangerous Danny Davis. Hogan pinning Neidhart after the big leg drop there. Hogan also getting the hot tag and taking all three men out single-handedly. No shocker. You guys can actually watch this match on the even more unusual matches Coliseum video. Also part of the Superstars taping, the Rougeau brothers defeat the team of Don Morocco and Bob Orton on a DQ when Morocco and Orton refuse to stop double-teaming Jacques during the matchup. This match will actually air on a May edition of Primetime Wrestling. And speaking of May, some of the stuff taped for the Superstars show in May included the in-ring debate between Kim Batera and Bobby Heenan that we already talked about. Also, Craig DeGeorge We'll be interviewing Blackjack Mulligan, discussing his feud with Ron Bass. Then we'll turn around. Craig DeGeorge also interviewed Ron Bass, discussing his feud with Blackjack Mulligan. Also expect to see new vignettes airing soon of Brutus Beefcake in a barber shop. And also as part of that Superstars taping airing in May, Beefcake defeating his former manager Johnny V with the sleeper hold 
after the bout Beefer's shaving off part of Luscious Johnny's hair. This will actually be the debut of the Barber character for Brutus Beefcake. Upcoming in May, also Adrian Adonis is going to step back in the ring and defeat the likes of Jake the Milkman Milliman. This will also mark Adonis's final match on WWF TV. The Killer Bees will be teaming with Coco Beware over the team of Lombardi, Pete Doherty, and Terry Gibbs. Coco and the Bees all wearing bee masks throughout that matchup should be fun. And Davey Boy Smith pinning the hitman Bret Hart with a running power slam after Dynamite and Neidhart begin fighting on the floor, causing a distraction, allowing Smith to pick up the win there. And in his final match in the WWF, Blackjack Mulligan going to be teaming with Tito Santana and Billy Jack Haynes in six-man tag team action over the Shadows and Iron Mike Sharp. All of that, plus there was hype for WWF champion Hulk Hogan, who is said to be working a very rare TV match here in syndication against Cowboy Bob Orton for Memorial Day weekend. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come here on The Grenade as well. That's it for the Superstars taping as we move on to April 24th and Wrestling Challenge. New Haven, Connecticut at the Coliseum. Just a few notes here on the dark matches. Coco Beware, battling former referee Danny Davis to a draw. Better get used to it, Danny. And how about this for a six-man tag? Hulk Hogan teaming with the likes of Jake the Snake Roberts and Tito Santana, defeating the team of the Honky Tonk Man, King Harley Race, and the natural Butch Reed. Plus, remember, we already touched on it. Bobby Heenan had challenged Ken Patera to a match against Hercules. Patera accepted on Missy's Manor. Well, they taped that match at Superstars, but it was said to be so bad it couldn't make air. So we get it again here on Wrestling Challenge, taped for the May 16th edition of Superstars. Was the first one really so bad they had to do this again? Yep. Ken Patera defeats Hercules with Bobby Heenan and Harley Race in his corner by disqualification. When Patera catches Hercules in the bear hug and Harley Race makes the save, causing the DQ. After the match, yet again, Billy Jack Haynes out to make the save for the Olympic Strongman. This one does make air, and it'll be Ken Patera's first match back on WWF TV. The match went three minutes. Was that bad on Superstars? Wow. Also airing on Wrestling Challenge for May 17th as part of this taping, we're going to see Killer Khan. He's made his return to the WWF. Mr. Fuji will be his manager. He's going to battle Outback Jack to a no contest when the killer attacks Jack before the bell and chokes him out before the match can even begin. Doesn't bode well for the future of Outback Jack there, but no worries, mate. No worries, mate. I'm Outback Jack. So the majority of the crew had their time off, 24 days off. In fact, they've returned to do a couple of TV tapings here, and then by April 25th, we're back on the road full-time for the entire WWF roster, and we kick things off April 25th here in Baltimore, Maryland, in front of over 6,600 fans. Sees S.D. Jones over Jimmy Jack Funk. Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeats the Iron Sheik. Hercules over Billy Jack Haynes in a chain match. Tag Team Champion Heart Foundation over the British Bulldogs on a DQ. Randy Savage defeats the IC Champion Ricky Steamboat on a countout. Jake the Snake Roberts defeats Bobby the Brain Heenan. What's that about? Plus Outlaw Ron Bass over Nick Kaniski and the Can-Am Connection defeat the Shadows. But that's not all. We're running three towns, A, B, and C shows here on April 25th. I think that last one was the B show. Here on the C show in Port Jervis, New York, at the high school gym. I don't have results, but I do know part of that show included Cowboy Bob Orton, The Magnificent Morocco, Coco Beware, 
the King Harley race, and the fabulous Moolah taking on Velvet McIntyre there in Port Jervis. And of course, the A-Show for April 25th in Buffalo, New York. And a shout out to DeMar Hamlin, by the way, prayers on a speedy recovery. The WWF in Buffalo, April 25th, Memorial Auditorium. Jimmy Powers over Frenchie Martin. Paul Roma defeats Steve Lombardi. The Demolition defeat the Islanders. Natural Butch Reed over Lanny Poffo. It's the Rougeos defeating the new Dream Team. Dangerous Danny Davis over Tito Santana on a countout. The adorable Adrian Adonis pins Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And WWF champion Hulk Hogan defeats Kamala. Now with Mr. Fuji as his manager, Hogan scoring the win on a DQ when the Honky Tonk Man, dressed as Kim Chi, interfered and broke up the pin after Hogan had hit the big leg drop. Hogan then unmasked Kim Chi to reveal Honky Tonk, with Hogan then being triple teamed by Fuji, Honky, and Kamala, so that Kamala could lay Hogan out with a big splash. Very interesting choice there. Honky Tonk Man doing the Kim Chi gimmick before Saturday night's main event. But Honky has nothing to do with the Hulkster. We'll have to see what they come back with here next time in Buffalo. We move on to April 26th, Indianapolis, Indiana, Market Square Arena. Jimmy Jack Funk over C.V. Afi. Jerry Allen scores a win over Frenchie Martin. The outlaw Ron Bass defeating Lanny Poffo. The Can-Am Connection defeat the Shadows yet again. Adrian Adonis battling Brutus Beefcake to what is called a draw. I just wrote eek. Can't imagine what that was like. Also, Jake the Snake Roberts battling the Honky Tonk Man. To a double countout, Tito Santana defeating Dangerous Danny Davis. And in the main event, IC champion Ricky Steamboat defeating the Macho Man Randy Savage inside a 15-foot-high steel cage. We continue on more April 26th goodness. Toronto, Ontario at the Maple Leaf Garden in front of over 8,300 fans. Lombardi over Tony Gurria. Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeats the Iron Sheik. Demolition. Over the newly formed team of Paul Roma and Jimmy Powers, Butch Reed defeats Nick Kaniski. The new Dream Team beat the team of the Islanders. Hercules over Billy Jack Haynes in a chain match. Kamala pins George the Animal Steel and tag team champions the Hart Foundation over the British Bulldogs on a DQ. And lastly, also April 26th, a matinee show in Phoenix, Arizona Municipal Stadium. Over 5,000 fans in attendance. These matches actually took place after a Phoenix Firebirds versus Vancouver baseball game. And on that card, five matches in total, including the likes of Coco Beware versus the King Harley Race, the Killer Bees against Bob Orton and Don Morocco. And in the main event of the night, WWF champion Hulk Hogan defeating King Kong Bundy. So A, B, and C shows each of them with a title match. Savage and Steamboat in a cage, the Hearts and the Bulldogs. And here after the baseball game, it's Hogan defending his title successfully against King Kong Bundy as we move on to April 27th. London, Ontario at the London Gardens in front of only 1,500 fans. What's going on, Ontario? It's Iron Mike Sharp over Cowboy Frankie Lane. Paul Roma and Jimmy Powers defeating the Shadows. So much for a Shadows push, eh? Demolition over the Islanders. Pedro Morales back in action, defeating Jimmy Jack Funk. Women's champion, the Fabulous Mula over Velvet McIntyre. Brutus Beefcake pinning the adorable Adrian Adonis in what is Adonis's final night with the company. This is the night he gets fired after the event. Brutus Beefcake also going over in a big battle royal here in London, Ontario. So Adrian Adonis finishing up the company after this match with the Beefer. Let's look at more results from April 27th. Columbus, Ohio at the Ohio Center. 
sees the outlaw Ron Bass over Jerry Allen. Outback Jack takes on Cowboy Bob Orton. No results for that one, but I'm very curious. Also, Rick Martell defeats Nikolai Volkov on a disqualification. Hacksaw Jim Duggan over the Iron Sheik. Tom Zink battles the Magnificent Morocco to a draw. And the main event sees IC champion Ricky Steamboat team with Jake the Snake Roberts and Billy Jack Haynes over the team of the Macho Man Randy Savage, the Honky Tonk Man, and Hercules in an elimination match. Fun match there. And we'll close out the 27th in Montreal, Quebec. The WWF already back in Quebec. This time for the big show in Montreal, which draws just shy of 5,000. And on the card, the new Dream Team, Greg the Hammer Valentine and Dino Bravo, with a heel, Pat Patterson, in their corner, defeating the team of the Rougeau brothers when Bravo pinned Raymond after Patterson clotheslined Ray from the apron when the referee was distracted, putting Jacques out of the ring. So Pat Patterson playing a big part here in Montreal, his native Montreal, as a heel, aligning himself with the new Dream Team, and that'll go on. In fact, we're going to talk a lot more about this Montreal feud between the Rougeaus, the new Dream Team, Pat Patterson, and even Brutus Beefcake in the upcoming weeks here on The Grenade. There's a lot more to it than what we see on American television. We're going to talk all about it in the upcoming weeks, I promise you. But also April 27th in Montreal, we said it was the new Dream Team over the Rougeaus, but also on the card it was Coco Beware against Danny Davis, Tito Santana against the natural Butch Reed, George the Animal Steel was scheduled to take on Kamala in a steel cage match. That would have been interesting. And Tag Team Champions, the Hart Foundation, also scheduled to take on the British Bulldogs. If you guys have results for those, I encourage you to send them over my way. I'll make sure they make air here on the grenade. We move on to the 28th in Ontario, Peterborough, Ontario to be exact, in front of 2,400 fans. Some of the matches on that card, the C-Show here, featuring Jimmy Powers and Paul Roma over the shadows, Butch Reed defeating Coco Beware, and Coco being given some retribution as he gets the win here in a big battle royal to close the night. Also on the 28th, South Bend, Indiana, the Joyce Athletic and Convocation Center, in front of a sellout crowd of over 9,300 fans. It's the Saturday night's main event taping to be aired on May 2nd, 1987 here on NBC. This April 28th taping will also mark the final night of Jake the Snake Roberts in the ring for nearly two months. The Snake Man won't return until June the 19th, and we'll be discussing Saturday Night's main event itself at length here in a couple weeks. But some more dark matches on the TV taping saw Jerry Allen over Steve Lombardi, the outlaw Ron Bass pinning Lanny Poffo, and WWF champion Hulk Hogan teaming with Ken Patera to defeat the team of Andre the Giant and Hercules. Herc subbing for Bobby the Brain Heenan, so it was originally scheduled to be, at least on paper, Hogan and Patera taking on Andre and Bobby Heenan. But of course, Heenan's selling with that neck brace. He can't get in the ring. So Andre the Giant does step in the ring after WrestleMania 3 here, teaming with Hercules. Of course, Hogan having to pick up the win here over the mighty Hercules. And it was also on April 28th, I should note that Barry O, Barry Orton, brother of Cowboy Bob Orton, was hospitalized following a vehicle wreck near Tempe, Arizona. The wreck killed his passenger, Miss Sherry Jo Bennett, of Livermore, California, and I'll have a lot more on that story when we cover May 87 in just a few weeks. There's a whole lot more to that story. Also, on May the 28th, in front of just 1,400 fans, have you noticed a pattern here? Very low attendance in some of these cities, this time Rochester, New York, at the War Memorial. Just 1,400 fans coming to see Nick Kaniski over Frenchie Martin, Billy Jack Haynes battling Harley Race to a draw, Don Morocco over C.B. 
The new Dream Team defeat the Rougeau brothers, Outback Jack over Mario Mancini, plus Sika the Samoan over SD Jones, Brutus Beefcake defeating Luscious Johnny V, now subbing for the fired Adrian Adonis. Beefcake over Johnny V in a steel cage. And I'm sorry, guys, but I'm reading these cards. This roster is spread so thin right now across three cities that some of these shows just sound awful. Your main event here is Brutus Beefcake and Johnny Valiant. At least they put it inside a steel cage, I guess. Then on the 29th of April, Syracuse, New York, at the Onondaga War Memorial. C.V. Afi over Frenchie Martin Sika, defeating Jerry Allen, Billy Jack Haynes on the card against King Harley Race. Danny Davis pins the Birdman Coco Beware. Also on the card, it's the Rougeos taking on the new Dream Team. And in the main event, IC champion Ricky Steamboat defeating Randy Savage once again inside a steel cage. But the WWF spreading the steel around because not only do we get a cage match on the 29th in Syracuse, but also on the 29th, a cage match here in Dayton, Ohio at the Hera Arena in the main event. We'll get to that in a moment. On the undercard, it's Outback Jack over Steve Lombardi. Outlaw Ron Bass defeating Lanny Poffo. The Can-Am Connection over Morocco and Orton. Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeating the Iron Sheik. Ken Patera subbing now for Jake the Snake Roberts over the Honky Tonk Man. The Natural Butch Reed battling Tito Santana to a draw. And in the main event, Tag Team Champion Hart Foundation defeating the British Bulldogs inside a steel cage. Also on the 29th of April, Niagara Falls in Ontario at the Memorial Arena. In front of about 3,000 fans, it's Iron Mike Sharp over Cowboy Frankie Lanes, who was subbing for Tom McGee. Also, the Islanders over the Shadows. Demolition defeat Paul Roma and Jim Powers, a couple of young stallions there. Brutus Beefcake defeating luscious Johnny V, yet again subbing for Adonis. Brutus beating Johnny V with that patented sleeper hold that he seems to have perfected in record time. Also on the show, Pedro Morales back in the ring, subbing for Blackjack Mulligan. Pedro scoring a win over Jimmy Jack Funk. Also on the card, women's champion Fabulous Moolah over Velvet McIntyre. And Haku picks up a win in a 14-man battle royal, last eliminating Jimmy Jack Funk. Funk had shocked the world by eliminating Brutus Beefcake, but turns around and realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Haku eliminating the Funker from the Battle Royal to score the win, and I'm sure Jimmy Jack Funk wishes this was the worst thing that Haku would ever do to him. For those of you who know, you know. And we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, the final day of April here. April 30th, the WWF invades Hershey, Pennsylvania in the Hershey Park Arena in front of 3,742 fans. It's Outlaw Ron Bass over Leaping Lanny Poffo, Tito Santana battling the natural Butch Reed to a draw, Outback Jack defeats Steve Lombardi, Hacksaw Jim Duggan pins the Iron Sheik in reportedly just four minutes, probably for the best. The Can-Am Connection over the team of the Magnificent Morocco and Cowboy Bob Orton. Ken Patera once again subbing for Jake the Snake Roberts. Patera scoring a win over the Honky Tonk Man. And in the main event, Tag Team Champions, the Hart Foundation, defeating the British Bulldogs yet again inside a steel cage. It's reported that Dynamite Kid and Jim Neidhart had escaped the cage God, I hope Dynamite went through the door. Hate to think about him even trying to climb over the top. And then finally, the Hitman escaping the cage. The Hart Foundation successfully defending the titles against the British Bulldogs here in Hershey. Also on April 30th at the RPI Fieldhouse in Troy, New York. Sees action involving the Rougeos against the new Dream Team. Coco Beware continues to take on dangerous Danny Davis. The King Harley Race squares off against Billy Jack Haynes. And in the main event, it was IC Champion. Ricky Steamboat once again 
retaining his title over the macho man Randy Savage. And then we'll close out the house show results here for the month of April 87, the WWF in Oshawa, Ontario at the Civic Auditorium. 2,361 fans reportedly in attendance. The scheduled match between Blackjack Mulligan versus Iron Mike Sharp is reportedly canceled. Lucky Oshawa. However, the rest of the card remains intact. The Fabulous Moolah over Velvet McIntyre, Jimmy Powers and Paul Roma defeating the Shadows, Jimmy Jack Funk scoring a win over Frankie Lane, who is still working these Canadian dates, subbing for Tom McGee. Also, the Demolition defeating the Islanders, Brutus the Barber Beefcake continues to go over on manager, former manager Luscious Johnny V, who is now full-time replacing Adrian Adonis on the house show circuit. And in the main event, Paul Roma scores a win in a 14-man battle royal. Paul Roma victorious twice here in Oshawa. And that'll wrap it up for house show results in April. I told you it would be a quickie, guys. That's why I ran through more of the results than usual. And once again, I encourage anyone who wants to read along with these results, the best place to go to follow along here when I cover house show results here on The Grenade is easily the history of WWE.com. Shout out to Richard Land at Masked Wrestlers on Twitter. Richard Land doing a fantastic job of keeping the history of WWE up and running. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All right, guys, I want to thank you again so much for joining the Wrestling Memory Grenade as we jump back in to the 1987 and the WWF project. We just began the month of April. Next week, we're going to tackle all of the TV results, beginning with the day after WrestleMania 3, the March 30th edition of Primetime Wrestling. And from there, we're going to cover all of April TV as well. No doubt we'll continue to discuss the fallout from WrestleMania 3. New Intercontinental Champion Ricky Steamboat, but the Macho Man wants the belt back. No doubt the Bulldogs also looking to regain their tag team titles from the Hart Foundation. And who will be the next challenger for WWF Champion Hulk Hogan? Well, Bobby Heenan would have you believe it's all in the family. Plus, Mr. Fuji is devious as ever, making all kinds of new acquisitions. We're going to talk about all of those next week here on the program. Fuji going to go from managing just Morocco to Morocco and Orton to now five more talents within the next month here in the WWF. Plus, the honky-tonk man looks to ban the DDT. There's no doubt Hacksaw Jim Duggan not done with the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. All of that, and we'll begin the Ken Patera story next week here on The Grenade. Looking forward to having you guys back. And in the meantime, remember, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also follow and like us Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And while you're at it, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And that's not all. I'd greatly appreciate you stopping by our Patreon account at Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia multiple tiers to choose from that five dollar all access tier worth the price of admission i promise you that many many gifts including our patreon exclusive watch along series digital downloads and so much more for the low price of five dollars no subscription cancel any time give it a try and i think you're gonna like the content we offer and once again every penny of it goes right back into the wrestlecopia podcast network your patronage helps pay the bills And with all of that out of the way, it's time to say goodbye, but we will be back with April TV here in 1987 in the WWF. We're going to have lots to look at 
lots to discuss, and of course, you know by now, sound bites galore. So until then, this is Ray Russell saying from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I'll see you next week. Don't miss it. Be there. It's bad enough that you gotta take orders from a doll, <laughs> but you gotta take orders from a bitch. <laughs>